This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! and welcome to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams, as always, alongside Kindred D. St. Aubin. Lots coming your way once again. No guests this week. We've got too much to talk about, unfortunately. Uh, let's start, Kindred, with Minnesota United getting a last gasp victory away to FC Cincinnati. Now, before we go into the depths of it, there was a certain expectation coming into this game. And I say that with all due respect to FC Cincinnati. An FC Cincinnati side who look much better under Yapstam. You and I were very impressed with them when they came to Allianz Field several weeks ago. They look a lot more stern at home, a lot more steady in front of goal, but there's no doubt they have a lot of issues that they need to fix during this off-season. Minnesota United, I think it's safe to say, Kindred deserved the victory. There were a lot of opportunities for the Loons, but, and, and correct me if I'm wrong here, in typical Minnesotan sports fashion, they make it difficult for themselves they leave it to the last minute. And Aaron Schoenfeld, of all the people, getting the goals. Yeah, getting the goal. And also, I mean, should it have even been a corner kick? You know, that's another debate for another time. But we also know that in this league, in, in really any sport, calls go both directions, right or wrong, throughout the entirety of a match. So um, you can't just peg in on that one. But I do think that after Minnesota United weathered the storm of the first 15 or 20 minutes where – FC Cincinnati kind of came out flying. They looked good in the attacking third. They were putting the pressure on. They were creating chances. They clearly looked the more dangerous of the two clubs. Minnesota United on the road weathers that storm, calms it down a little bit, gets a hold of the game, and um, goes into half 0-0. And then, yeah, I mean, they make it difficult for themselves in Minnesota fashion, but they created the better of the chances in the second half. And I don't remember exactly what the shots were in the second half, but I know we talked about it in the postgame show, and it was absurd. It was like 10-2 or something like that in the second half for shots in favor of Minnesota. So I think deservedly so. They deserved the three points on the road. And I think, um, you know, exactly what we thought we'd see from Cincinnati in the sense that you'd see these moments, these these spots of of consistency, of combination, of continuity between some of their star players. Makocho seems to be, you know, I I was impressed with what he could do when he made the right decision, but for me, he and a player like a Frankie Amaya in the center of midfield had way too many turnovers mm -hmm. in dangerous positions, and that's the kind, as a coach, you want to pull your hair out if Yapstam had any hair, he'd be pulling it out because those are the times on the pitch, and we've seen it with Minnesota United in the past, that you can't, you can't turn the ball over, and he talked a lot about consistency from individuals leads to consistency from the group and from the team, which re leads to consistency and results. And that's something Cincinnati has struggled with. So Minnesota goes on the road, gets three points, gets a win. And can they win back-to-back -back wins, which seems to have escaped them since, gosh, what was it? Uh, early September, um, they got back-to-back -back wins against Dallas and Real Salt Lake. Besides that, it was back to July. And then before that, it was March. So can they get the back-to-back -back wins in a crucial stretch of the season here? You mentioned it. FC Cincinnati started the better. The opening 20 minutes were all about the home side. Why was that the case? Well, I just think they came out with a hunger about them. I mean, this was their, I believe, their fourth home game in a row, and they had played four or five home games in totality leading yes. up to that match. I mean, they, like Minnesota United, had been kind of crushed by the schedule makers in having so many games on the road for the first half or three quarters of the season. So they beat Columbus Crew, which everyone was flying high about at home. And actually, quite honestly, the Cup probably could have beaten, um, what was it, a draw with Toronto FC in the game before that? 
or it was a loss. It, it was a late loss, a 1-0 loss. But it could loss. have been a draw, a penalty. It could, it could have been a draw. And I'd say, uh, apologies for the interruption here. Um, mm. Toronto FC <clears throat> looked very, very good that day as well. I thought FC Cincinnati gave a fabulous account of themselves. But Adrian Heath made the point to the press leading up to the game against Minnesota that this Cincinnati team are a lot better than people give them credit for. They have some good pieces. But a lot of those pieces were missing against Minnesota. So yes. on the flip side of that point that Adrian Heath made, Kendra, what Minnesota went up against over the weekend was essentially a load of misfits who were looking to prove a point to the manager, surely. Right, and they had a couple pieces here and there that, you know, like we we talked about Gutmann being the left back and he was a dangerous piece for them, but they're, essentially their whole back line had changed from the last couple matches. They had been missing eight or nine people, players, in their last two or three matches. So just like every other club, you've had to piece together these lineups and missing some of their stars. So you had a Makocho in there, but, um, you know, players were starting on the bench that they're expecting to be better and, and, and attacking players and, and score more goals and, so, yeah, I mean, I think with – and Frankie Maia hadn't started the last couple matches, then he's thrown back in the mix. Madunian probably the only super consistent piece in that whole starting 11. So this is my thing with, you know, with Adrian Heath, and, and he prefaced it that way, and, you know, rightfully so – but you, there's a double-edged sword there. You're going up against a bunch of misfits who haven't seen a lot of minutes, but at the same time, as you stated, rightly so, they're trying to prove a point. They're trying to prove something to the manager about why they belong in the starting 11. And Yap Stam has the tough task of trying to find consistency amongst a lineup and a group. And ultimately, at the end of the day, you can only play who the opposition throws out there. You don't get to choose if it's their B squad or their A squad. And you have to go on the road and get the three points. And that's what Adrian Heath and his club did. And and, you know, I, I appreciated the fact that they pressed on until the final moments of the game because you could just take a point on the road and, and be okay with it, even against a, a last place or second to last place FC Cincinnati. But they, they fought on until the very end. They pressed. They created some chances. And, you know, credit to Aaron Schoenfeld because he is a true professional from everything that we've heard and experienced, doesn't complain, um, works hard Monday through Friday, Get, you know, tries to take the best and the most of his opportunities when he gets them. And that's what he did in this case. False nine for FC Cincinnati seemed to cause several mm. problems for Minnesota. It, it drew them out of position once or twice as well. And you have to wonder as well, we've seen this system now across world football where it's usually a proper and a recognisable centre forward who plays the role. This time it was it was Sim De Jong, who's traditionally a central midfielder, albeit an attacking central midfielder. He's not a centre forward. Um, we saw him have several openings in, in that 20-minute spell that you mentioned. It just felt as though if FC Cincinnati had a recognisable forward, they may very well have gotten themselves an opportunity. Yeah, and I think some of it is, um, you know, just actually making the most of your chances because, you know, we wondered before the match how Sim De Jong was going to play in that position and what he was going to look like. And I think I maybe underestimated his quality as just a player. I mean, when you put a good player on the pitch and one with his stature and his standing and his resume, they can pretty much play good anywhere, right? I mean, they find a way to make it work in a position that isn't even natural to, to them. And he would drop inside. He would become more of a number 10, more of that attacking midfielder. Frankie Amaya would push up higher. You had these overlapping runs from both their outside backs. I think 
that Cincinnati dominated the overlapping runs by the outside backs in the first half compared to what we're used to seeing from Gasper and Metanier. But yeah, I mean, I think if they had a true number nine and, and, and everybody could say that about their club, if you have a solid true number nine, who is their nose for the goal is something you can't, you know, it's hard to stop that once a player just has the natural ability to put themselves in a goal scoring position and then actually finish the chance when they get there and they get their opportunity. It's tough to combat that. So, um, yeah, I think some of those chances that SC Cincinnati could have been two nothing in the first 20 minutes if they had that someone in that position that could bury those chances and put those away. And again, Yopstam talked about it heading into the match and he's talked about it. He's been asked about it every week about the roster and the possible turnover. And are you eyeing 2021 and are you just looking for forward to getting this season over with so you can start working on that roster and building it the way you want it. And that's the challenge of being an expansion club that's in their second season, but they've also had, you know, two, three coaching changes in that time as well. So, um, yeah, I think if you have a true number nine that just has that ability, I mean, Joseph Martinez is a perfect example, right? In the sense that, like, just a nose for a goal and you could throw him probably with any club in the league and he's going to find a way to score. And I think FC Cincinnati is definitely missing that piece. They did the best with what they have. Yeah, absolutely. And you do get the sense that Yapstam and Gerard Nijkamp and co. will more than likely address the issues that they have during this offseason. Uh, Perhaps not before this transfer window, which we'll talk about a little later on, by the way. The transfer window for Major League Soccer slamming shut on Thursday. Uh, expect plenty of activity across the league, even at this late stage of the season. We mentioned Aaron Schoenfeld, Kendra, whilst we're talking about centre-forwards. Made the most of his opportunity. We just about saw it. Um, Michael Boxall as well, getting on the end of the corner and, and playing his part as well. Um, I mentioned this to Adrian um, the day after, and, and it's something that I'm, I'm keen to continue to, to bring up. Winning a game on the road will always build a team in terms of confidence and from a psychological point of view, it'll always help. But doing it in the manner in which they did at the very last minute, a last gasp winner, have you been involved in situations like that before? Because I would always assume winning it like they did would always give you that little bit of an extra boost because you know it was a, a a last-minute winner, I would imagine the locker room would be a fairly intriguing and, and very happy place after a result like that and, and a goal like that right at the very last minute. Yeah, I think it it should be, and most of the time it is, an added boost, an extra uplifting feeling because you're basically at that point, it's a last, last gasp effort, right? You know, it's the last corner kick, it's the last set piece, it's the last chance you're in that final third whatever it might be it's like a last second shot or a you know a Hail Mary in football I mean it's it's just something about when the whistle's about to blow and you know the game is just about to end that you find a way to pull it out and especially on the road that you haven't given up on the moment you haven't given up on the play because you could easily sort of go into that corner kick going okay if we get one here great you know, we'll get the three points, but if we don't, we come away with the draw on the road. Well, instead, I think that there's a different sense of celebration, of elation. We saw it with, you know, in with Kevin Molino in the MLS's back tournament in Orlando when he got the last second goal. Um, and I, I think there's just something about it. And when it's an extra time, when it's an added time, it even makes, you know, it even adds something else, an element to it. The only thing I'll have to say, the only caveat for me with 2020 is – it just seems like it's such a strange year that even a moment like that, like literally whether you scored in the second minute of the match and you held on for the entire game to win one nothing, or you scored in the 92nd minute, 
I don't know if the elation might feel the same because every point is so crucial in this season and the way it has gone that it's almost like a sense of relief yes. that you've been able to get the three points with the craziness and the wonkiness of the schedule and the travel and the layoffs and, you know, being uh, not able to train because of coronavirus. And then you get a blizzard here and you're training inside and just everything that these clubs have had to deal with. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you could see the celebration not only, you know, with, with Schoenfeld especially getting it. There's something about when guys score that don't normally score. And he's a forward. He's a number nine, but he hasn't had many minutes this season. So for him to get the goal, um, you know, it, it was a special moment for him. And I'm glad we saw the replay because I didn't realize Boxy had such a great header that hits off the post, but Schoenfeld is ready for it and buries it. So, you know, this just, I think, again, it shows the resiliency of this team and this group and, and the willingness to not use excuses. And hopefully, I think Adrian's a little bit hesitant. Um, you know, we saw in, I saw in his match day minus two yesterday uh, saying that, you know, this can really carry you and this is momentum because until you've proven it, until you can go and put together back-to-back -to -back performances, it's hard to say that and, and hang your hat on it. It should do that. Mm. But until you actually do it and put together two quality performances in a row, I think he's a little hesitant to say it, you know, like a lot of clubs have been. You know, yeah, it's, it's like Cincinnati. You get a huge win over Columbus and then you lose to D.C. United. It goes back to the consistency factor, and that's what great teams do. They're consistent. Yeah, it, it just felt, I think, it, it, as you mentioned, with all the trials and turbulations that 2020 have, have brought on for every team across the world, but especially in this league as well, when the road trips are that much more difficult because you're flying in the day of the game and then straight back out again, I think there is extra emphasis on winning on the roads in this um, 2020 season. I felt as though there was extra elation um, just because it, it seemed as though, and Adrian Heath mentioned it in the post game, he was, he was happy to settle for a point at that stage. He thought that, okay, we'll take a point here. It's not been the greatest game of football ever, but we'll take a point. And then all of a sudden things changed straight away like that. And Aaron Schoenfeld gets the goal. And I do wonder now, Kendra, like you said, I completely agree. Minnesota have to now carry this forward and get a result against Colorado, which we'll, we'll talk about in the next segments. But I, I, I must admit, I think right now they couldn't have won in the manner in which they did at a better time with three, four games left. Because if they do turn this into momentum, it's the one thing that has always carried teams in the playoffs, momentum. We, we, it doesn't matter what season it is in Major League Soccer. We've always seen going into the playoffs with momentum can take you very far. Yeah, I mean, it's always better about how you finish than how you start, in my opinion. I mean, if you're a club in Major League Soccer that starts 5-0, and 6-0, and whatever it might be, um, I think that, you know, people kind of go, oh, wow, look at this team. But if you're not there in the end, if you're not the team at the end that gets, you have to get hot at the right time and you have to find your form at the right time. And I think soccer is one of those sports that it's especially true. And in this league, it's especially true. And you're right. Any season, not just 2020, but any season, because this is, um, I'm a true believer in momentum, regardless of what team you're throwing out there, regardless of what roster you have, regardless of how many injuries, what your layoff has been like, it's about momentum. It's about confidence. And Adrian must've used that word 
five times, not just in his post game, but in his match day minus two yesterday. Confidence, confidence, confidence. And that's what winning does. And it doesn't matter how you get the win. It's that you get the three points and that you find a way um, to get this momentum and get the ball rolling. And we'll see what happens on Wednesday with the short turnaround and, a, and an, you know, another Western Conference opponents in Colorado who's had their own challenges. But it is all about momentum. It's about feeling good about where you're at and, uh, you know, I just think that this team and this club is going to try to find a way to grind it out and and get results, and that's what they've had to do. This is year four, and starting in 2017, they've just had to find a way to grind and grind and grind, even though there's only a couple players still left from 2017, Boxel and, and Molino, I believe. There's, there's an element of fight from this group and from this club, and I think it's just they've always sort of been an underdog. So mm. that's what they're going to have to do is carry this momentum into the, the rest of the season. Brent Coleman, of course. Uh, Brent Coleman as well, yes. As well, who, mm-hmm. who came on for the last 20 seconds or oh so. Oh, my gosh. I would get crushed if we Cincinnati. didn't mention Brent Coleman, the Minnesota legend. My, my apologies. Um, <laughs> before we move on and talk about other subjects across Major League Soccer, it was the first time we got a glimpse of Ozzy Alonso and Jan Gregus together in the center of midfield since September 6th and that 4-0 victory over Rail Salt Lake. And it was pretty much business as usual, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, those are two guys that... Um, Fortunately for that position in the holding midfield role, aside from Ja'Cory Hayes stepping in now, which she's done fantastically, you know, he's done a great job fitting in in that role when he's had to, is there's an element of familiarity there. And it's two professionals. I mean, Jan Gregus is much younger than Ozzy Alonso, but it's two players that have the same kind of standards, the same kinds of expectations. You see the intensity on Jan Gregus's face in the match, whether it's at himself, it's at the officials, it's at the opponents, it's at his teammates. There's an intensity and a competition, a competitiveness about him that Ozzy Alonso, I think, can appreciate because he is much the same way. He's not quite as vocal as Jan and maybe as... Um, you know, demonstrative in his 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 emotions and the way he kind of carries his body and his positioning, but they have the same set of standards, the same kind of expectations, the same level of competitiveness for themselves and their teammates. And I think that's why it just slides right back into business as usual. So much was made when they were both brought in last season about the six and the eight and who's doing what and who's in what position and why aren't you number six? Why are you number eight? Well, that's the number that's available, you know? And I think that um, that's really turned into a really nice partnership and it's grown over time. Okay. Let's refocus elsewhere in the league, shall we? As if this season wasn't crazy enough. Um, You and I were looking down the score lines in our post-game television broadcast. And I think the one result which raised the eyebrows across the entire studio set actually was uh, Philadelphia Union beating Toronto FC by five goals to nil. Um, we had the opportunity then later on to go and, and watch the highlights. Um, hat-trick from Santos, who looked borderline unplayable. Let me ask you about the strike from Montero as well from the edge of the penalty area. It nipped the woodwork on the way through. It was a gorgeous goal for me, perhaps the, the goal of the week. Um, was this a case, Kendra? of Philadelphia Union really showing us their muscle or was it Toronto FC on a bad day? You know what I can appreciate about it? You know what? I think we're kind of sometimes in a tough position in the post game because we see the score lines, but like 
I was talking to my husband on the way home because I still hadn't done had time to really look into it. I was like, well, for all I know, they could have been playing with eight men. You know, I mean, Toronto, like, we don't know anything about the game because we haven't gotten to see it because we've been in the midst of a game. We just see the scoreline. And then I always have to try to take a step back and go, well, wait a minute. I might want to see what the heck happened. Did they get three penalties? Was there a handball? You know, I mean, who knows? But these were just five quality goals. And I think what it was is, I mean, you have two teams that are clearly in the playoffs. We're the first two teams, I think, in the whole of the league to clinch their spot in the postseason. But this is this is about proving to the Eastern Conference and to all of MLS that we belong here. Everyone talks about Toronto. Everyone, TFC, Greg Vanny, Josie Altidore, Michael Bradley, you know, going on those Pazuelo, I mean, of the stars that they have. Now, granted, a couple of those players weren't available, Akinola and Josie Altidore, but they've done without them for quite some time and I just the thumping that Philadelphia Union put on and the goals they scored that you said at the hat trick from Santos the strike by Montero I mean you talk about going into the postseason with some momentum because they kind of fizzle out every time they get to the postseason they haven't quite gotten over that hurdle over that hump and this might be the year for Philadelphia Union we were saying that also in MLS's back tournament and then they fizzled out in that as well. And I think they heard that. And that's going to resonate with them. And they've got a point to prove because I don't know if it was Toronto on a bad day or what, but a bad day for Toronto should not be 5 nothing. A bad day for Toronto should be losing 2-1. to one. Yes. That, to me, in my mind, with even the starting lineup that they threw out there. So, you know, credit to this club, McKenzie, you know, Brendan Aronson, all these young players that they have in the mix and they've developed. And Jim Curtin, I mean, just – doing things the right way, apparently, with the Philadelphia Union. It has his team flying at it right at the right time. I thought Kai Wagner, the left-back, yes. was tremendous against mm-hmm. Toronto FC as well. Uh, Gaddis on the opposite flank, not bad either. He doesn't get enough credit, I don't think, in general, Gaddis. No. I mean, I think he doesn't get talked about it as much as, as some others in this league, especially for an outside back. Let me put you on the spot here. Apologies, it's early oh, in the morning. Oh, great. <laughs> <laughs> Looking at the Philadelphia Union roster mm-hmm. and the players that they were able to bring on as well, um, Il Signo, Andrew Wooden, mm-hmm. Fontana, who has grabbed all the headlines recently, the young mm-hmm. American who, who may very well be the ideal replacement for the departing Brendan Aronson off to, to um, Red Bull Salzburg, of course. Um, Corey Burke coming back from a loan spell in Austria. Jack Elliott, who, who has performed well at centre-half uh, since coming into Major League Soccer. Philadelphia Union get absolutely nowhere near the credit they deserve. And Jim Curtin, and maybe it's because he's, he's an American coach as well. We've had this discussion before about Americans not, not getting the credit they deserve, not only in this league, but certainly across the world. Um, are they for real? Is this potentially the first time we can really consider Philadelphia Union to be not favourites, but certainly in the conversation for MLS Cup? I think so. And I agree with every point you just made. I don't think they get the credit they deserve. I think some of it is about the market they're in. We talk about teams and markets and where they are and just, um, you know, you've got so many teams on that East Coast and teams that draw the attention with the two New York teams. You got the New England Revolution. Now, who has Bruce Arena? I mean, you know, that that in itself just draws a ton of attention. And then with Philadelphia has just always kind of flown under the radar. And I think that if you talk to Bedoya, who's a captain and a leader of that team forever, and Jim Curtin, they don't mind flying under the radar. But ultimately, you still have to prove it when the time, when the pressure is on. And I think that is where they have faltered over the last couple seasons. This 
roster has been good for a while now, but now they've got everybody clicking and on the same page. I think you and I have had the benefit of talking to someone like a JP Della Camera over the last few mm. seasons who is in so tight with that group and has been with Philadelphia Union as the play-by-play man for so long that he's always kind of been in our ear saying, this is this group is for real. Jim Curtin, everyone loves Jim Curtin. The players love Jim Curtin. He's he's got his head on his shoulders the right way. He he goes about this the right way. They've got this academy, this youth system that they're building that also flies under the radar. Doesn't get the attention that a Red Bulls two or you know some of the other the academies that we talk about. You know Portland, Seattle, whatever it might be. That the attention that those clubs get, Dallas, Salt Lake. Um, this is this is a team that's for real, but we were talking about that in MLS's back, and then they faltered. Now that was a completely different situation, different tournament, different time. You're in, you know, in this bubble. You're in the heat. But what can they do now that this is kind of more quote normal as this season plays out? I I could absolutely see this team, especially thumping Toronto five nothing with only a handful of games left, putting putting the pedal to the metal and proving to the league that they belong and that this is. This is just as much theirs as anybody else's. And, you know, watch out LAFC. Watch out Seattle. Watch out Western Conference and who you might be taking on as the, the playoffs and the MLS Cup comes to fruition. And and Supporter Shield, now that it's back in play as yeah. well. <laughs> yes, it is. Before we go to break, Kendra, so, so we've just heaped praise on Philadelphia Union. What makes them work? Why are they so good? I think it's exactly that. I think it's that everyone knows their role. I don't, I don't know. I don't know anybody on this team personally. The only t- person that I really am even familiar with because he's been around forever is Bedoya, right? Sure. And as far as who's out in the front, who's out in you know the face of this club, it to me it seems like there's no ego on this team. Everybody knows their role. They know what their job is. And every game they go out and they perform. How many times have we heard managers and coaches say it's about consistency of individuals leads to consistency of a team, which leads to wins. And I think that is so important, especially in soccer that everybody knows their role, they know the expectations for them, and their teammates pick them up when they have an off game, when they have a bad touch, when they have a down day. And I think that's what makes this team good. And I think that's the the chemistry and the quality that Jim Curtin has instilled in this club. That is the culture that he has created there with some of the youth being brought up. You listen to some of these older guys, these veterans talk about the youngsters that have come up and as they've watched them, even in their youth system, like an Aronson, these guys knew they were going to be studs from from day one and to have your veterans saying that about your young players and wanting them to be successful, even if it means they're taking your spot, that I think is a pretty cool culture that's been created in Philadelphia. Okay. We'll keep our eyes on Philadelphia union. It is the business end of the season in major league soccer. Stay with us. Plenty more coming your way after the break. We'll talk about Colorado Rapids, but first let's talk about an intriguing contest in Los Angeles. We'll see you after the break. While team sports may be sidelined right now, team spirit is going strong. Alina Health and Minnesota United have teamed up to support the frontline caregivers at Alina Health. Learn how you can help by visiting alinahealth.org forward slash caring for caregivers. Welcome back to the podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindred D. St. Aubin. Before we talk about Minnesota United up against Colorado Rapids on Wednesday, let's talk about the derby that was in Los Angeles, shall we, Kindra? Now, <laughs> where do we even start with this one? Because coming into it, there was a lot of build-up and, and there was a lot of headline news. No Javier Hernandez in this game for whatever reason. <laughs> um, I think it's safe to say, once again, Kindra, um, Guillermo Barros-Scoloto's seat, if it wasn't hot 
prior to this game, it's it's red hot now, in my opinion. Um, losing to LAFC is something that happens to a lot of people, especially at Bank of California Stadium. But to lose it in the manner in which they did, um, I don't ever remember feeling an imminent threat from LA Galaxy. I don't ever remember thinking the Galaxy could actually do something here. It just seemed to be firmly controlled by LAFC. And, and I, I don't want to put words into your mouth. I, I don't want to speculate here, but I'm going to. Um, <laughs> did, did we think, because in my opinion, it looked as if once LAFC had scored, it looked as if the Galaxy took their foot off the pedal. I can't imagine as a coach at all that that's going to be pleasing. Um, I'll, I'll just come out and say it. Is it at a stage now where the Galaxy players are perhaps not wanting to play for Guillermo Barros Scalotto? You know, I'm a little bit torn on this one because they get a red card in the 25th minute. They're a man down, right? So that's that's the situation, I think, that changes the game and changes the dynamic of the game. They have a goal that, you know, the ball was out of bounds. and yes. uh, And I think that this club is just in one of these positions that you look at their roster and you look at the talent and they should be so much better than what they are. And they didn't have Chicharito, which actually I think benefits them. I think they don't play as well when he's on the field. And we saw that for a stretch after the tournament, after MLS's back tournament, they looked actually really good from an attacking perspective. Um, but I think the red card made a big difference in this game. I'm not saying that normally LA Galaxy would come out and light the world on fire and beat LAFC. But... Um, I just think that there needs to be a change. And it's not just Guillermo Barros-Scalotto. I mean, we talked about this a couple pregame shows ago. Is it Teclosa? Is yes, it yes. Klein? I mean, who is responsible for changing the way the LA Galaxy puts their team together? Who is responsible for making changes in um, what they're trying to do going forward. But it's also hard because you see some of the players that they have and the money that they've spent on certain areas, and you're like, well, they should be better than what they are. So then is it the coaching staff and how they are tactically and putting the, the team together, what they're throwing out there, what the message is, what the style is, or as you said, just not willing to play for the team anymore, not willing to play for the coach anymore. I mean, you know, there is, I think that's kind of what happened with DC United. I mean, they're not at all the same exact situation by any means, but when you just need a change and when the message isn't getting through and the, and the players just don't want to play for the coach anymore or for the manager, and they're not even playing for each other, that's when you really run into issues. And I just think this is a beaten down LA Galaxy team where for, you know, at least a year, if not a little bit more, if it hadn't been for Zlatan Ibrahimovic in, in 2019, I don't know how good they would have been either, uh, that they've kind of been beaten down in the press, in the league, in, you know, soccer circles, in every conversation that they have just not lived up to expectations. They should be better. They're terrible. They're, you know, they look terrible on the back line. They can't, you know, then they go sign Chicharito, the flashy new toy, shiny new toy, and he can't perform and doesn't perform and looks like a, you know, shell of his former self. You know, I just almost think that if there's anybody that wants 2020 to end is LA Galaxy because this is just, just they need a reset button and they get need to really reevaluate what's going on within the upper upper ranks of that club. 
They're 12th in the West. Mm-hmm. Okay, they've got five wins all year. Mm-hmm. Something has to change at LA Galaxy because this is far from the club we're all familiar with. And I think that's the key, right? It's the standard. It's it's You're talking about the Beckham rule, the Robbie Keens. I mean, you look at the players that they have brought in in the past. When they have brought in the shiny new toy, it's been successful. Ibrahimovic was successful. But in general, this team has felt like it has just plummeted and man I give Kobe Jones credit because he has to do the broadcast and he was a club (laughs) is a club legend you know he's a U.S. soccer legend and now he's on the television broadcast and you get to try to put lipstick on that pig every night but you're also remembering what the team used to look like when you played for it the standard that was set the the effort the energy and sometimes it's not just about the quality of the players I mean clearly I think a lot of these players that they have on their roster are better than the days when Kobe Jones played from a technical standpoint. But there is something to be said for just pure effort and pure energy and chemistry and willingness and wanting to play. And that's what happens, you know, half the time in sports is just what you're trying to put out there and the energy you put forth in the game. Ask Wondolowski, not the most talented guy, but he works his tush off every day. And I think that the Galaxy is just, there is an expectation and a standard. And you're in L.A., Everybody wants to come live in L.A. and play for the L.A. Galaxy or now LAFC as well. There's no reason why you shouldn't be better, and that standard has been set. And that's why I think it's so incredibly disappointing that this team is where they are right now. I'll be honest here. I'd be surprised if the Galaxy did anything right now. I I think, look, there's six points in the playoffs. I I, I don't think they're going to get into the postseason. I could be wrong, but we've seen stranger things happen in in this league, haven't we? But I don't think they get into the postseason. It wouldn't surprise me then if the club made a move. Um, here's I'm going to throw something at you just because I want to get your reaction here, your instantaneous thoughts, um, because this is rather ludicrous, but I could see it happening. Imagine if Scalotto was let go. There's a certain manager down the road in San Diego that they're quite familiar with. Mm. Could we see Landon Donovan potentially at some stage? I mean, look, I think at some stage he'll take over as the head coach. Um but I think a lot of people would now perhaps suggest it, and I would agree with them, it's a little bit too early. But we've seen stranger things happen, haven't we? And look, this is purely speculation. I know nothing of the sort of any sort of intra-workings on this at all. You know, first of all, if they were going to hire an American coach, that would be about the only one I could see happening, and purely from a star legacy, LA Galaxy standpoint, right? I think there's a reason why... Landon Donovan hasn't gotten a coaching job anywhere else in MLS. And yes, he is tied to San Diego. He has some sort of allegiances there and part owner, isn't he? Yes, exactly. And he's tried to, you know, make that work um, in San Diego and sort of attract the attention there. But ultimately I, that would be the only American hire I could see happening because LA Galaxy, like other clubs, it's, you know, just like they try to go get the flashy new toy with the, with the player, they'll try to do the same with the coach. And I think they tried to do that with Guillermo Barros-Galoto and it's not working and it's just not the right fit. So, yeah, I mean, that would be the only hire that I could see happening, quite honestly, um, from that standpoint. And I have no idea how good of a coach he is. I have zero idea. You know, I, I don't even know. I mean, all I know is his personality as a player and what he was like on the field and sort of how he has sort of drifted um, out of the limelight for a while now with, you know, within soccer um, before he took the San Diego job. Um, 
So I don't know how he is as a coach. I don't know how he would be. It's so hard to say sometimes with these former players mm. just because they were a legend um, and they have a, a reputation within that club how they would be as a coach. But it wouldn't – I mean, could it be, though, if they did that, that it was just another failed attempt at drawing in a, a flashy new toy because it's a name uh, that's not going to produce just yeah, like some possibly. of the players? It could be. I don't know. Well, whatever it is, they need to make a change. It's not going to happen in midseason. I mean, midseason, we're talking about the end of the season. But they have to really reevaluate. But then it's on the ownership group, isn't it? Because a lot of these decisions, I think, need to be made higher up. And if Klein is the right one, and if DeCloso is the right fit. You know what I mean? Other These other pieces to the puzzle that are higher than the head coaching position, um, it's on the ownership group. Yeah, so I don't mean to, to speculate and turn that into something there because, as I said, I know absolutely nothing about it. It just came to my head and I thought, I wonder. Well, it's not shocking. No. I mean, it's not a shocking idea, but I just think I think that teams, in the way MLS is now, in the advancements of this league, you can't just say, I'm going to just hire a big name. Mm. Whether it's American or foreign, it has to be the right fit. It has to be the right pedigree. It has to be the right for that market, for that club, for that team. You can't just go, oh, hey, look, this is a big name. Let's bring them in. Look at what happened with Chicharito. Like, you know, even what's happened, you know, with Atlanta United when they brought in DeBoer, you know, now with Barro Scalotto. I mean, even with uh, Matias Almeida in San Jose, it's just because teams of teams or players or coaches have been successful at a different level in a different league at a different time doesn't mean it's going to work for this club at this time in this league. And I think that teams are having to, clubs are having to reevaluate that. Kendra, the one thing that has to sort itself out is VAR. Oh. That game in Los Angeles was not short of headlines with regards to VAR. Let's be totally honest about this. And if you haven't seen this, by the way, I encourage you to go and watch the highlights of the LA Derby. The first goal was very well executed by LAFC. But before the ball was rolling in the attacking phase, it's out of play, isn't it? Yeah, completely out of play on the end line. And, you know, people were talking about, oh, you can't review if a ball's inbounds or out. Well, yes, when it starts the attacking phase of play, you absolutely yes, you can. can. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is that is where, even though it was the completely opposite end of the field, it was the start of the attacking phase of play. And that is what led to the goal. And half the, first of all, wrongly so, half the LA Galaxy players are raising their arm and screaming about the ball being out of bounds instead of getting back on defense. So they were kind of caught in the, the wrong position. But ultimately, they had a reason to be upset. And it was out of bounds. The ball, you can see it in that one angle. You can see the green between the white line and the ball. And why have VAR if we can't get things like that right? You know, that's clear as day, in my opinion. But yet you have an offside by a toenail that, you know, gets a goal disallowed. Where you can't hardly tell, you know, the inch of the whatever it is. So, I don't know. I mean, we all, ultimately, if VAR is used correctly, I think it's better for the game but we've gotten to the point now where the inconsistencies are a little bit much. And I think that's, uh, <sighs> I don't even know what to say about it because we, you know, it's, you know how it is. I mean, you, you watch the games in Europe, you watch game. I mean, it's even worse over there. So, you know, some of the offside calls and oh, the, the one, the I Liverpool mean, it's unbelievable. It's changing the game in the wrong way a lot of times, you know. So, uh, but this is a time where it could have been used to the benefit and it could have been looked at in reverse. Well, it was looked at and they still didn't make the right call. So that's that's a whole other animal. Yeah, although what I will say, credit where credit is due because there was an incident with VAR uh, and it was in that LA game earlier on where there was a challenge that was on the edge of the penalty area. They called a penalty. They went and looked. Um, 
and um, contact started. Eventually, they, they figured out right. Okay, it's, it's it was Giancarlo Gonzalez who it was worthy of a red card because the challenge was denying of a goal scoring opportunity because uh, I, I, there wasn't a genuine attempt to get to the ball. At least that's what the opinion was of the referee, and I agreed with that. Um, because it, it seemed as though Giancarlo Gonzalez was just taking out the player um, to stop him advancing towards goal. Um, and the referees went to the monitor, had a look, and they realised, right, OK, well, first of all, yes, it, it is denying of a goal-scoring opportunity, so it is a red card, but it's not a penalty because mm-hmm. it was outside the area. So credit where credit's due to VAR. Mm-hmm. But and isn't there something about double jeopardy there too? Correct, yes. You know, where you can't also, I mean, very oftentimes, unless maybe that's when it's in the penalty area where you're not going to give a penalty, if it is a true penalty, and a red card because then you're kind of double jeopardy, you're kind of a double whammy for the team. I thought there was something too with that. Not necessarily in this case right, because he right. was outside the box when the contact happened. But in general, I thought they kind of created this new thing with this double jeopardy where you can't get a red card and a penalty. Mm-hmm. In the same in the same play, maybe I'm wrong on that, but well, it, I mean credit where credit's due in this particular incident because I think they got it right. Yes. But the one thing which I think all of us just simply as fans just want more consistency. Exactly, with it. that's all we want. Yep. Um, and right now it's it's anything but. So, um, talking of uh, consistency, um, lots of moves in Major League Soccer forthcoming. Lots of moves have been made over the course of the last couple of weeks, but now the transfer deadline is uh, fastly approaching. Um, It's going to slam shut on Thursday. Let me ask you this, Kendra. First of all, do we think any additions for Minnesota United on the horizon? You know, you and I were talking about this, and I think part of the dilemma for me with this transfer window is the timing of it. Um, Clearly, normally the transfer window ends in August, and now we're in mid-October with only a handful of games left. So if you do a transfer at this point, how much does an international transfer make sense? When, especially, I mean, under normal circumstances with visas and getting someone in the country is is a challenge, let alone when it's coronavirus and you have to come here and quarantine and everything else. So, I mean, even if you're local, even if you're transferring within the league, you still have to quarantine. You still have, unless you've driven, you know, your quarantine time is less than when you fly. So to me, I think that, um, I think that the coaching staff and the club would probably love to add an attacking piece at this point, just knowing that it looks like Luisa Maria is continuing to be out for quite some time and um, that, you know, there may be a a season-ending injury there. He may be on the verge of surgery, depending on what they've decided. And then you also have traded away Mason Toy, so you have Kai Kamar and you have Aaron Schoenfeld. And I just think down the stretch that may not be enough. And if one of those goes down, then what do you do? You know, I mean, that's the the key is – Neither of them are spring chickens anymore. And um, I think that if they could add an attacking piece, they would. But with the way the transfer window or the international, you know, rules and the quarantining and coronavirus and visas and everything else and just a handful of games, I wouldn't be shocked if it was something more within the league that happens um, rather than an international piece, not just from an attacking standpoint, but if they had anything at this point. Um, and Hassani Dotson being out for probably the rest of the season just because we don't have that many weeks left unless he's some miraculous healer with that gruesome ankle injury he suffered uh so yeah i mean and ozzy alonzo again not a spring chicken so if he goes down with another hammy then you're kind of you know you're short in that position you have jacory and you have marlin and um, some other things but ultimately um i think they're always looking I mean, yeah. you would be silly not to. You'd be silly not to have your ears open to offers and in your eyes open to ideas within the league or within 
um, you know, some of the lower leagues or internationally. But I think the international moves are going to be tough. Yeah, absolutely agree with that. Um, I think they're going to try, aren't they? That that seems to be the insinuation from Adrian Heath is that they've had discussions. They're trying to get something done. So I think they're going to try. Um, but it's going to be very, very difficult with the amount of time we have remaining um, to get anything done. What about the rest of the league, Kendra? Are there any clubs that, that you think immediately need some help in these these last few games and, and potentially heading into the postseason? You know, I think it goes back to, um, you know, a couple teams have made some additions on their back line. Uh, you know, we've saw LAFC has made some changes and additions on their back line um, before this window has, is closing, before we get to this point. I think that a lot of the teams, you know, Seattle made some changes within the league and, and they brought back Brad Smith and they brought back Roman Torres and they made some changes there. I think ultimately um, the teams that we see going down the stretch that are in that playoff position, I don't see them making a lot of changes unless some earth shattering deal deal is already under the works. I feel like the teams that are kind of at the bottom of the, of the barrel right now are going to kind of stand pat until the season plays itself out with it being short and crazy. And, and they know that, Hey, let's, let's rework things as the season goes on. You know, FC Cincinnati is, is another one of those teams. They, you know, um, are trying to add some pieces and look at their roster, but they don't want to rush anything. What's the point of rushing something if you're not going to make it to the postseason anyways? Um, unless some crazy deal comes along that you just can't pass up. I think anybody that's in playoff contention right now is going to try to move forward with what they have because unless they have something already in the works, which is what we were just talking about, yes. or some dire need, I think that they're going to try to move forward with what they have so they have some sort of element of consistency as this playoff run stretch end of season, end of season happens. Um, I think Orlando city is solid where they're at. Miami made some additions during the season. I don't think, I don't see them making any changes. Um, FC Dallas is kind of relying on a lot of young players right now. Um, Colorado's a mess with the COVID and, uh, I think Portland looks pretty good at where they're at. So I, anybody that I would kind of see that maybe making some moves that are in the playoff realm, I, I don't see making any changes at this point going forward. Okay, well, we'll save that conversation for the next podcast we do because by the time we do another podcast, the window will have passed. So next up then for Minnesota United on Wednesday evening, 7 p.m. kickoff. You can, of course, uh, watch the game on Fox Sports North and listen to it on Score North. Colorado Rapids, the opponents for Minnesota on Wednesday evening, Kindra, and you just alluded to it there. This season has been a mess for them. They got themselves... um, on the field and were <laughs> just about able to play a game against Kansas City over the weekend, which they lost by four goals to nil. Um, prior to the lockdown, I, I guess for, for those of you unaware, they haven't been able to play a lot of games. They've had six games suspended this year and, and postponed, I, I suspect is the right way to, to say it, uh, due to an outbreak of COVID-19. Um, so there's a lot of making up to do for Colorado Rapids. Still, nobody seems to know how they're going to do that. But in the meantime, Kindred, they can only focus on what's in front of them. That is a game against Minnesota on Wednesday. First of all, let me ask you what you thought of them against Kansas City over the weekend. I think they looked better than I was expecting after having nearly a month of layoff. And even during that month, it, um, it you know they weren't even hardly able to train at all. Um, they were doing Zoom training sessions and, you know, a lot of like what we saw at the beginning of the quarantine, basically back in March and April, where teams weren't even getting together for small group training. So what I expected, um, I thought they actually, I mean, they go into the half zero zero and I thought they held their own against Sporting Kansas City. Um, 
you know, and, and, and Kansas City had their normal, their regulars for the most part out there. So, and Ilya Sanchez is back in the fold for them. So Busio was out on the left-hand side, which was a little bit different. Um, seeing him back out there as after he'd done so well in that sixth position. But with Colorado, I thought Frazier said it perfectly after the game. You know, I mean, it was exactly what he expected of this team. And they fizzled in the second half. They wore out. They were exhausted. I mean, they weren't game fit. There is no way to simulate match fitness. And that is what he Keegan Rosenberry said post game as well. We shot ourselves in the foot. I mean, too many mistakes. And and Frazier said the same thing. You make that many mistakes and and you're chasing the game and you're already not game fit. That's not going to work. And they knew it was going to be tough physically, mentally, emotionally, all of the above. They're not using it as an excuse. But that's what happened on the stretch. That's how it ends up 4 nothing, even though it was 0-0 at halftime. They looked better than I thought they would in the first half. And, um, you know... It, I, I was I was actually impressed with their postgame interviews because they didn't seem downtrodden. They didn't seem to use it as an excuse. They just said, we'll be ready for Wednesday. That's it. You got to forget about this one. Move on to the next one. We're happy to be on the field. We're happy to be training. We're happy to be playing games. But move on to the next one. No excuses. And we'll be ready for Wednesday. And they're going to come here. And I, I expect a, a lively group, even though it's a short turnaround and they've had a crazy last month. Surely, though as you sort of insinuated in, in the last topic there, at some stage, no doubt they'll come into this game organized and, and they'll be the Colorado Rapids that many of us have, have seen over the course of the last year or so under Robin Frazier. But when it gets to a certain point, let's just say the 60, 65th minute, yep. fatigue and fitness and lack of sharpness will surely come into it. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, again, it's, I think how soon and how much that comes into play in the 65th minute will depend on how well they've kept the ball and kept the game under control for the first 60 minutes. Because I do think the chasing that they had to do against Sporting Kansas City, as if they weren't out of shape enough, the chasing and the turnovers and the mistakes and um, the extra work that they had to put upon themselves affected what they did down the stretch. And also the depth of their roster. Who's going to be available for Wednesday? Who can you even bring off the bench in the 65th minute? Who's going to start? How how fit is everybody at this point? How did they recover from that game against Kansas City after their first you know, physical toll that's really been put on their bodies in the last month? Because it's frustrating. They were in really good form going into that shutdown, as you said. And then the hits just kept on coming for this Colorado Rapids side. So this has got to be another one of those games, and we're saying it a lot, but Minnesota has got to get three points, jump on this Colorado team early. And if you don't jump on them early, you better pounce on them after that 65th minute, much like Kansas City did. I'm sure Peter Vermees at halftime is going, are you kidding me, guys? Are we going in 0-0 against a team that hasn't played in a month? Exactly we should be hammering this home. Exactly. <laughs> and they end up pounding them 4 nothing. And that's what Adrian Heath is going – Let's not even wait till halftime. Let's pounce on this team right from the get-go. Kai Kamara is going to have some extra motivation. This is this club that he was just with that traded him away. And um, what what can he what can Adrian Heath expect from his group? And the focus is going to be on, on burying them early, putting them away at halftime, not letting them back in the game, you know, like you did Houston Dynamo, and getting your three points at home and getting back-to-back -back wins for the first time since early September. What of Minnesota before we finish here, Kate? Will Reynoso start? Oh, I think he should. You know, the bigger question for me is, does Schoenfelder or Kai Kamara start? Kai Kamara playing against his latest team. Schoenfeld gets the late goal. But I don't know. Um, I think Reynoso should start. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if Kevin Molino gets, 
gets a break or, you know, I don't know the health of Ethan Finley. I don't know the health of Robin Lud. I don't know um, from that standpoint um, what he's going to go with. But I think I thought Reynoso looked good in the few minutes he was in there after also not training for the last couple of weeks. Um, but I think you got to get him back in the fold and back in the mix as quickly as possible because we all have seen what he can do when he gets on the field and how he combines and creates with those around him and kind of the energy and the life he brings to the offense when he's in the mix. So I would start Reynoso 100%. I don't have the privilege of knowing Ethan and, and Kevin and Robin and what their health is, but the bigger question is me for me is who starts up top. I would guess he'll go with Kai, but you just never know with Schoenfeld getting the goal late in the game. Okay, my thanks as always to Kindred E. St. Auburn, our producer Morgan Lubin, and for you listening at home as well. Another big day for Minnesota United taking on Colorado Rapids. Join us, Fox Sports North, Wednesday evening at 6.30. Of course, you can listen to the game in its entirety right here on Score North. From all of us here, a very good evening. We'll see you on Wednesday. Wednesday.